some of the hardest decisions that I had to make was to just wait it out. My name is Merrill Dubrow, CEO of Mark Research. I'm a 35-year veteran of the research and insights community and the host of our podcast, On The Mark. On The Mark is focusing on executives and thought leaders in the world, sharing their insights, strategies, and personal experiences. I promise this podcast will be filled with tough, pointed questions with real, insightful, and emotional answers. Today's guest is my good friend, Tim Hoskins, president of Questar Insights and Strategy. Tim, welcome to the On The Mark podcast. Thank you, Merrill. Hey, you know, I never realized this, but you might have a career in uh, sports broadcasting. <laughs> That's a funny one. I have a face for radio. I have a face for podcasts, for sure. Um, but thank you. That is very kind of you. Hey, Tim, you know we talk about this being unrehearsed and uncensored and unscripted. So we're going to start with this. Pick a number, 10, 12, or 14. 10. Great. So there you are as a 10-year-old boy back in the day, many moons ago, right? What did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be an attorney. Okay. Then uh, governor. Oh. And then senator. Wow. Do you still have career politics? You know, today's election day. Um, are we talking about at one point I might be able, if I live in the same state as you, I might be get a chance to vote for you in the future? Unfortunately, no. I have uh, let that dream go, although every once in a while I'll bring it up with my wife again and she'll remind me that uh, she is she is not the politician's wife. That's interesting. So I always wanted to play left field for the Boston Red Sox, always. When I was growing up, we'd go to Fenway Park. My dad and I had to close my eyes and say, that's what I want to do. And I remember my favorite number was eight and Kyle Yastrzemski and I always... When I played baseball, I always played left field just like him. So did you, were your parents politicians? Like, how did you, um, how did that come into your mind that that's what you wanted to be? That's a great question. And I actually have no idea. My parents were not politicians. My father worked at John Deere all his life. My mother was an educator, uh, then an administrator at uh, the high school that, that in, in our hometown. And so politics really weren't a big part of our lives. It, it was always something that fascinated me, though. And there's something powerful about um, how our country is governed and foundations that it was built off of. And I think that all of that, it fascinated me so much that it made me want to be a part of it. Having said that, I think I made the right decision by not, not going into politics. <laughs> things have shaped out in the last, uh, last few years. Well, on behalf of the insights community, we're happy that you didn't go into politics and that you are a mainstay and so influential and without a question, a thought leader in the insights community. So let's talk about that for a little bit. Let's switch gears. So let's start with the, you know, I don't know, maybe a 30, 45 second commercial about Questar for some of the listeners that may not be familiar with your company? Questor is a strategy and insights firm. Um, our insurgent mission is unlocking consumer truth to drive business growth. We are obsessed with our clients' business growth. It drives every decision that we make internally. Um, it's, it's our passion. And uh, we do a lot of work with organizations on defining innovation pipelines, uh, def 
identifying target market opportunities um, and and a built off of a foundation of research that leverages a unique technology that collects data and allows us to analyze data that no other company in the world can produce. That's fantastic to hear. So obviously, you know, um, truth be told, you know, we're, we're taping this in November, actually on election day. The interesting thing for me is that I wish I could say we're halfway through this pandemic, but that would make me a guy who has a crystal ball. And I don't know if that's true, but we know we're in the middle of it, right? We know that there's going to be a, we know the starting point was for the U.S. probably in March, the ending date, well, TBD. But how has your company changed over the past eight or nine months, Tim? We've taken the opportunity. We've been very blessed as a, as a company. And we realize that, we celebrate it. We're still very fortunate that our business has, has thrived when, when we know that there are other organizations out there that um, they can't say the same. But we've taken the opportunity to continue doubling down on that insurgent mission, pushing the boundaries of, of how we unlock consumer truth and taking great pride in the business growth that we have helped to develop with our clients. And this, this time period has allowed us to go back to those clients and really deep dive with them into the business and understand what was the implication of the insight? What was the success or failures of the strategy that was, was developed? And how did it play out in, in the actual market? What numbers can we attach to it to determine if it was successful, if it wasn't? And then going back to those very specific frameworks and projects that we've developed and refining them, honing in on what made that, that specific you know, instance so successful and how do we exploit that and do it over and over and over again for organizations. So it sounds, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, so please correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds the way that you just described that, Tim, the way that I understand it is, is your insights professionals have turned into true consultants. Is that true? Correct. And, and that is, that's the mission. That's the vision of, of what we are building towards is to be an organization that is recognized as strategists and consultants that build everything off of a strong foundation of insights. So many companies out there strive for that, right? That's the goal. We would argue that that's what most clients want. But you can't do that overnight because a lot of researchers just can't get there as be strategists, be consultants, know how to communicate with brand teams, know how to communicate and use the right verbiage with the CMO. How, can you talk about a couple of the things that you did at Questar to make that sure that that happened? I think the biggest thing is sitting down with the team and actually realizing the success and focusing in on the historical success of what has been accomplished. That's the first thing, is to help everybody understand that where we are going is not a huge shift of who we are today. Yes, it's going to take work. Yes, it's going to take extra um, skill set development, et cetera, but it's not a monumental shift. 
And when we sat down and we talked with our clients, we realized that the overwhelming amount of business success and the business growth that our insights were fueling, it was all there, but it was a matter of repositioning how we talk about ourselves, how we present ourselves, and how we push with our clients to bring people into the tent along that that insights journey, that strategies journey. And then also um, leaning on uh, you know, outside resources to prepare our teams on how do you think like a strategist? How do you look at an insight and not just say, this is what we found, but then take it two, three, four steps further and build out an entire strategy around that insight for the, the company to entertain. And a working session then becomes a strategy session where you're ideating with your client around the strategy versus ideating around the insight itself. Wow, that is fascinating. I think there's a lot of takeaways there for a number of the listeners for sure. So let's switch gears for a second, okay? Let's talk about the pandemic. What's the hardest decision you had to make during the pandemic? Hardest decision was to not react fast. I'm a fast decision maker. And that can be a good thing at times, and that can be a bad thing. I know that as as a leader. And we played out a number of different scenarios uh, at the the company when the information and the news hit. We made fast decisions like shutting down the office and having everyone work remote. That was was an easy, fast decision. But there were other decisions that if we were looking at the data and we were hearing things in, in the market space, if we would have acted too quickly, it would have been the wrong decision. Some of the hardest decisions that I had to make was to just wait it out. And that's painful for somebody like myself uh, that moves fast, moves quickly, likes to take action, like to see things moving forward. But we stayed the course. We didn't reforecast our numbers and we change strategies around how we market, how we communicate, how we interact, but we didn't make significant business decisions. And, and that was the best thing for us. So it, it was a hard decision at the time, but it turned out to be the right decision. Yeah, probably not only the hardest decision, some would say probably a scary decision, right? Yeah. And especially as we've all lived through, every day was different, yeah. new information, new reactions, new emotions. And so to not make a decision, even though some of the data in the outside world was, was you know, signaling that it should be made, that was tough. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Give me an initial or a first name of somebody who reports to you and has reported to you for maybe th- at least three or four years. Keith. So if I called him and got him on the phone and said, hey, give me five or six words to describe Tim Hoskins, what would he say? Passionate but pain in the butt. Well, you, <laughs> okay, well, we'll go with passionate as, as one. Okay, but we don't have to go pain in the butt being three more. What other words would he, would he use to describe you? You know, passionate's number one. High expectations is number two. And number three, dreamer. Okay, that's a great one. Two more. Uh, resilient. 
I'm stubborn. Nice. So let me ask you this. One of the, you know, I've known you a long time, a lot of years, and I love, I always love to have our discussions because we challenge each other. And on my right wrist, I have a Fitbit. And this year I have, I'm averaging 20,200 steps or whatever it is. And last year I did about 19,100. I always got to keep pushing myself. And I know you're this, you're that guy too. So when you talk about high expectations, not only do you have high expectations from, you know, from the team, but you have high expectations from yourself. I mean, you demand a lot. Tim Hoskins demands a lot from Tim Hoskins. Did that, and I know the answer to that is yes. Did that come from your mom who you, who I didn't realize was an educator and a teacher? Is that where some of that came from? I think that that was something that was always in my DNA. I owe a lot of credit to my, my mom and my dad. I remember growing up and it used to bug me. I would come home with my report card and I would have straight A's and one A minus. And my dad would sit there. And the first thing he would say is, well, what happened with the A minus? You know, I laugh about it now, but I remember getting so upset. But my, my father, my mother, they had high expectations, reasonable expectations for me, for my brothers and sisters. But it was always expectations that they believed we could deliver on. They never pushed us into something that they didn't believe that we could accomplish ourselves. And part of that's DNA, but a big part of that is, is how I was raised. And I, and I owe so much of who I am uh, to them. I don't know if you know this, Meryl, but uh, I was adopted. My parents had three biological children. Uh, my sister and I were adopted. And, you know, they loved us like they, we were their kids. We were their kids. I mean, but, you know, as one of their own, they treated none of us any differently. Older brothers and sisters would argue that, that they were more lenient on myself and my younger brother. Uh, but, but I think that they're just, you know, they have their own lens. Yeah, that's nice. I, I appreciate you sharing that. I did know that. And that's, you know, the way that you frame that, the way that you responded to that just speaks high volumes of, of who you are as an individual. And I know how proud they are. I know I'm very proud to call you a friend. Let me ask you this. What worries you the most about the insights industry in 2021? I think the insights industry has the greatest opportunity that we've had. You know, I've been in the insights industry for 10 years. I've talked to others in the industry who have been there much longer. It's something that I've been really focused on. We have one of the greatest opportunities right now to exploit the need that every organization had during the pandemic of being closer to the consumer, to listening to the consumer, to understanding the consumer. That information was being requested at the highest levels of the organization, being looked at on a daily basis. And everyone, not everyone, but a lot of people turn to consumer insights. So at a corporate level and at an agency level, the expectations for us are high. We have to deliver. And we also have to raise our hands continuously and remind people of the value that we brought in 2020 and the value that we can continue to bring 
and how we can push the boundaries even further. If we seize on that moment, this moment, this opportunity, we, the conversation changes. You have, very, you have less articles coming out about CEOs who claim that they don't believe in research or they don't believe in communicating with their consumers, et cetera, et cetera. And you start to flip the narrative and you have leadership talking about how valuable consumer centricity is, how valuable the consumer voice is, and the team that they trust is consumer insights and analytics. We're going to change gears for a second. You know, obviously, you are, a, uh, you are somebody who's looked upon in the insights community as a thought leader, as a guy who is very passionate, um, somebody who likes to give something back. And in 57 days, you get to take the, I guess, the baton from Lisa Corted as president of the Insights Association, as the next chair of the Insights Association. Why is that so important to you, number one? And number two, what do you hope to accomplish during your chair? Well, I, I think first and foremost, and I'll answer your question, but I, I have to say, Lisa Cortade, Melanie Courtright, the, the staff at the Insights Association, the board, they have worked so hard this past year. It is truly amazing under the, the leadership between Lisa and Melanie what they were able to accomplish in a, in a state of uncertainty. Melanie was in her very first year and what they were able to accomplish, what they were able to give back to our industry in a time where people needed it the most. Um, those are big shoes to fill. Um, I, I, I won't even begin to, to say that I will be able yep. to fill the shoes that, that Lisa, uh, you know, fulfilled in, in 2020. It's, it's not possible. But, you know, why do I do it? Um, the first question I believe was, why do I do it? I, I do it because many years ago, when I was a newbie in this industry, there were a lot of kind-hearted people. Um, Ed Sugar, Alice Butler, to name a, a couple. Merrill, you, Steve, Scott Baker. I can just rattle off so many names that really in those very, very early days, they took a chance on me. They saw someone who was brand new to the industry, had a lot of high energy, a lot of passion, and, and they gave me an opportunity. And so that's why I do it. I do it to, to thank them for the opportunity that they gave me and the opportunity that has been presented to me over and over again within this industry um, by others. And, you know, I do it so that the next generation has even better, even greater opportunities uh, than, than I do. Yeah, absolutely. And I hate the word jealousy. There's, I think, 1.2 million words in the English language. And one of my least favorite is jealousy. But I am jealous of the fact that you get to chance to work pretty, pretty much daily with people like Jen Cattell and Melanie Cartwright and Nicole and Art and Jonathan. It is a really impressive staff. And it's a staff that, you know, Melanie, you're right. She took over in January of 2020 and then bam, 45, 60 days into this, she's dealing with a pandemic and, and survival of the fittest. And I think that the Insights Association is in great hands with her and Lisa and you and the entire board. 
Um, it really is. But give me one thing you want to accomplish in the next year. Just one thing that, hey, it's important to me if we accomplish blank. It's important to me that, that we seize the opportunity that's been presented to us. As an industry, we have to stand up and be proud of what we accomplish day in and day out. I, I said to somebody the other day that you see a great commercial and you always see the creative agency, you always see the marketing or the brand team celebrate and say, we did that. That, that was us. We don't see the insights team say, yeah, but it was our positioning. Or we don't see people say, look at what we did together as a team. We have to celebrate the innovations that we inspire, the consumer journeys that we map out, the uh, target markets that we determine, and, and the list goes on and on. Every insight that's produced and drives business growth needs to be celebrated. And we need to celebrate it not only internally as, as within the industry, but we need to celebrate it outside. I think that's really, really good. And I, I'm, I'm excited for you to take over and to see what, what you guys accomplish because the industry needs you. Um, my sense is, and I'll go on the record as saying this, I think there's too many associations. I think we need a little bit of consolidation. And I hope that you, Melanie, the um, insights team, the board really figure that out. Hey, Tim, I want to end with this. What do you say, what advice do you give to anyone who is in transition, who's lost their job in the last six or seven months and is having a rough go of it. What do you, what do you say to that person? Continue to connect, continue to spend the time, you know, having conversations with people like myself and others. There's so much that we can learn about each other in those conversations. And there's so much that's shifting in our industry on a daily basis whether that's the emergence of, of tech-enabled insights or new companies popping up. And so the, the business com, you know, landscape is changing on a daily basis too. And so these opportunities will pop up. And, and if you continue to have those discussions, you continue to reach out, something will present itself. And I know that that has to be very um, frustrating at times and, and challenging uh, but I also believe that there is great reward that comes out of those conversations too. And they can uplift you in a time when you might need it the most. That's great. Tim, I can't thank you enough. His name is Tim Hoskins, president of Questar Insights and Strategy. My name is Merrill Dubrow. This is the On The Mark podcast and have a great day.